This is Plant-Based Briefing. This is where your caviar comes from by Rachel Adams at sentientmedia.org. And I'm Marian Erickson, and this is the Plant-Based Podcast where I curate, get permission, and narrate articles on the myriad of reasons to live a plant-based and vegan lifestyle with permission in about 10 minutes or less every weekday. And today's article is from sentientmedia.org. They're a nonprofit news organization that's changing the conversation around animal agriculture across the globe. They create public awareness of the agriculture industry's impact on the climate crisis, extraction of natural resources, and the systemic exploitation of those bound up in food production. They have so many great writers and great articles. I highly recommend following them. And now let's get to today's plant-based briefing. This is Where Your Caviar Comes From by Rachel Adams at sentientmedia.org. Nestled between the Spanish Pyrenees, a farm sits next to a fast-running river from which clear water flows into open air but barren concrete-bottomed tanks. Visitors are given a tour of the facility, watching young fish as they're caught in nets and lifted ashore for visitors to photograph. The fish, gills gasping for oxygen, produce abundant mucus that the guide explains is a sign of stress. This is Nikari Cavia, a farm that produces award-winning caviar. The salted, pressed, and cured eggs of the sturgeon fish have long been the preserve of the rich, costing around $50 to $75 per ounce, with some varieties costing upwards of several hundred dollars for that same serving size. Tours at Nakari give visitors a glimpse into the lives of captive sturgeon. In the wild, these fish can live for decades, zigzagging along the muddy sediments of rivers and estuaries, searching for mussels, crabs, and shrimps, with the delicate barbels and electrosensors on their heads. But when wild stalks of sturgeon dried up in the 1990s, caviar producers turned primarily to aquaculture operations like this one, where the daily experiences for these sturgeon couldn't be more different. Nakari, like most caviar farms, has published a set of standards to ensure quality, environmental sustainability, food safety, and traceability. But what the farm doesn't address is what kind of life and death do these sturgeon experience. How Caviar Eggs Are Extracted According to my tour guide at Nakari, fish are sexed here when they reach four years of age, kept out of the water for up to ten minutes to have their gonads examined with an ultrasound. Procedures take place with the fish lying on their backs in a type of fish stretcher. Males are filleted straight away, and females are left to grow to adulthood. While fish in captivity reach maturity much faster than those in the wild, an intensively reared female doesn't produce her first eggs until around 7 years old, by which point she may weigh more than 60 pounds and measure up to 1.5 meters in length. She's been fed an artificial diet of fish oil, fish meal, prawns, and soy. Her diet is part of why caviar is so expensive. A few years later, the females are again scanned with an ultrasound to check for eggs. If she is carrying roe, she then undergoes a biopsy, or has a long, thick needle inserted into her abdomen to extract an egg sample. If, after a few attempts, still no eggs are found, it is because the fish is either infertile or the gonads weren't developed enough to reveal that it was in fact a male. If the eggs meet the quality requirements, she will then be electrocuted to death in a bath. Other farmers prefer dispatching their stock with a swift bash to the head. Fish can grow bored in tanks. 
According to a 2014 study, captive fish were found to have reduced brain activity as compared to wild ones. It's even possible that sturgeon living in barren containers could lose their natural foraging and social learning behaviors over time. And there are other risks, too. Victoria Braithwaite, who is an expert on animal behavior with Pennsylvania State University, explained in her book, Do Fish Feel Pain?, that fish can develop depression in monotonous surroundings. To alleviate boredom and encourage the fish to move at Nakari, staff sometimes throw pellet food to the sturgeon. The fish recognize their human handlers and follow along the walls of their tanks at feeding time. This is their sole distraction. When it's too icy for staff to walk between the tanks, fish are fed from automatic feeders. To improve living conditions for captive animals, many zoos and even some farms implement environmental enrichment strategies. Facilities can add structures to provide the opportunity for caged animals to play, forage, hide, exercise, and interact with each other. They might also alter natural light and water movement to mimic real-life animal habitats. Ways to Improve Fish Surroundings Now in 2022, thanks to behavioral studies on fish sentience from a growing number of researchers, seafood certifiers are beginning to develop welfare standards for aquaculture. These welfare strategies are species-specific, sometimes even life-stage-specific. According to researchers, sturgeon would benefit from softer bottom sediments that contain rocks, plants, sand, and mud. Together with interesting food supplies and hideouts, these could reverse constricted movements and reduce fin and mouth lesions, two problems I observed at Nakari. Over the last 25 years, zoologist Lynn Sneddon has provided ample evidence that fish do in fact feel pain. They have pain receptors and can even produce natural painkillers to relieve pain. But as Jonathan Balcombe explains in his book What a Fish Knows, humans find it harder to read fish expressions or hear their cries, making it easier to ignore their suffering. Recently, however, there has been progress. The UK has just passed the Animal Welfare Sentience Act 2022 to include fish, showing governments can recognize fish sentience. When contacted for comment, Nakari responded that they are exploring ways to make their holding tanks a more natural environment for sturgeon in the future. They are phasing out the part of their tour where the guide removes the fish from the water too, perhaps eliminating at least one cause of stress in the future. You just listened to This Is Where Your Caviar Comes From by Rachel Adams at sentientmedia.org. And I'm your host, Marian Erickson. And caviar is a quote-unquote food product that I hadn't given much thought to. My husband and I attended a farm-to-table dinner last summer for a local vegan couple who had just started CSA boxes, and we were supporting them and excited to go to this dinner, but they did warn me because I'd told them I'm an ethical vegan. They warned me that they were having a couple of appetizers that were not vegan. They were working with local farmers and one of them was going to be some kind of cow flesh appetizer and the other was caviar. And I was really confused thinking, well, we don't live on the coast. How are you having caviar? I hadn't given it any thought. Anyway, it turns out there's a sturgeon fish farm, a caviar farm up near us. Who knew? How can people be so cruel? Oh my goodness. Anyway, please share this episode with anyone who might benefit, and thanks for listening.